Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Uh, So let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you for who you are. We just had our praises this morning, and God, there are so many things to praise you. Lord, you are a gracious God. You are a loving God. You are a compassionate God. And it is that love and compassion that drives you to grace. This morning, as we dig into your word, we're going to learn a little bit more about your grace. So God, I pray that you will help us to listen to these words about grace and help us to apply them to our lives so that we can live a life of grace that reflects your character. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so if you are uh, new to Victory, if you're tuning in for the first time, what we typically do is we'll walk through a book of the Bible, trying to get all the context there to understand what the author was telling the original audience, and then we can take that truth and apply it to our lives. Um, this, uh, this series that we're doing right now is a little bit different. Instead of a single book, we're doing a group of books. Uh, they're called the Post-Exilic Texts. And uh, if you've missed any of those sermons, you can go back to our podcast. They're all there on the podcast. Um, So, so far in this series, we have covered Ezra and Haggai and Esther and Zechariah. We're currently in, uh, sorry, not Malachi, not yet. We're in Nehemiah, and we will finish this series out with Malachi. Um, But this series is called Depending on God, because the Jews realize that everything that they do, they must do in faith and obedience to God. Even if they're trying to do what God has told them to do. So if they're trying to be obedient without the faith, then it's going to fail. Or if they're trying to have faith without obedience then it's going to fail. So this is depending on God. Now, Nehemiah builds on that theme, and he shows that believers must depend on God even when times get tough. So this morning, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5, and the title of this sermon is A Problem from Within. Now, the past two weeks, we've read about, well, the past two weeks and the past 10 months, we've read about the Jews facing this opposition from outside. Well, this morning, we see that there's a problem within Um, And then if we could give kind of subtitles or section titles to this, I have it broken down to three sections. So the section titles would be A Problem of Justice, The Bare Minimum, and Exemplary Leadership. So I'm going to say that again. There's A Problem of Justice. That's our first section. The second section is The Bare Minimum. And then the final section is Exemplary Leadership. So let me review a little bit just to make sure we're all caught up here on the same page. Just in the book of Nehemiah, we met Nehemiah when he was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Um, He's a Jew, and he hears that the Jews who returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city were in danger, and they were in trouble because the city and the walls were still broken down and they were still burned. So Nehemiah prays to God, and then he asks the king for permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city or help to rebuild the city. And the king answers yes. So Nehemiah leaves there, and he goes to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he secretly, in the middle of the night, he gets up and he goes around and he surveys the city. And what he sees is, well, yes, the city truly is in danger. He was able to sneak out of the city in the middle of the night. He went around the city in the middle of the night. And he went back into the city in the middle of the night. And nobody noticed what he was doing. Nobody, none of the guards or nobody had any idea that there was somebody leaving or entering the city or wandering around the city. So they're in, they're in trouble. Now, over the past few weeks, we've seen how Nehemiah led the Jews through uh, psychological and physical attacks from their neighbors. But this week, we see that there's a problem from within. So let's go ahead and get right into that. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, we, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during the famine. 
Still, others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children, yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. So there's a problem here. And the problem, well, there's a famine, and the Jews didn't have enough grain to feed their families. Some of the Jews had to sell their fields to get money to buy food for their families. They've borrowed money to buy food. They've sold their sons and daughters into slavery to buy food and to pay their property taxes. See, the Persian Empire would use these taxes to build their empire. And the slavery that they're talking about here, uh, it's not the same slavery that was common uh, around the time that our country was founded. Uh, In the ancient Near East, people would sell themselves or their children into slavery to pay off a debt. And basically, they would work for the debtor, and instead of getting a paycheck, the money that they would earn would go towards paying off their debt. And once that uh, debt was paid off, they were supposed to be freed. Plus, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law demands that debt slaves would be released from their duty every seventh year, even if they hadn't paid off their debt yet. They had to be released from that duty every seventh year. And then another time called the Jubilee year. So this sounds pretty bad. The, the Jews are in a bad situation here. Right? They, they didn't have enough money to buy food. There was a famine. They couldn't grow their own food. They didn't have enough money to pay their taxes. So this is pretty bad, but there's a hint in this passage that makes this problem even worse than what it originally seems. In verse 5, it says, We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children. Now, why would they say this? Is this famine affecting people unequally? Well, I mean, probably. When natural disasters happen, they affect different people differently. Right? Farmers would be hit hard by a famine, whereas a, a blacksmith or a, country, uh, a government official... It wouldn't hurt them so much. But one theme that is common throughout the Bible, and this is closely tied to the Bible's understanding of justice, is that those with means or influence are not to use those means only to their own pleasure or benefit. Those with means have an obligation to help those without means. This is tied to God's character. Those who act like God show grace like God. I'm going to say that again. Those who act like God show grace like God. Now, grace, we've talked about this a few times. What is grace? It's a question. What is grace? Laurie's not here to answer for you guys this morning, so. Yep, grace and mercy, they're, they can, they're similar, but they're not quite the same. Given to something we don't deserve. Absolutely. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve, getting something good that you don't deserve. As opposed to mercy, mercy is where you're not getting something bad that you do deserve. So grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. So in this case, it seems as though there were some wealthier Jews who were not poorly affected by this famine, and they were not helping their fellow countrymen who were suffering. But if we keep reading, we see it's actually worse than that. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. Nehemiah says, I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After seriously considering the matter, I accused the nobles and officials, saying to them, Each of you is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them and said, We have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners, but now you sell your own countrymen and we have to buy them back. They remained silent and could not say a word. So what was it that made the problem worse? Not only were the nobles and officials refusing to help, They were the ones who were buying up all the land from their countrymen. They were the ones who were charging excessive interest. They were the ones buying their neighbor's children as slaves. What made the problem worse is that those in uh, in Jewish positions of power 
or with means to help were the ones who were oppressing their fellow Jews. What made the problem worse is that those people who claimed to be God's people, those people who claimed to know the law of God and to live by the law of God, those people who claimed to know the character of God, they were the ones who were denying justice to their, uh, their fellow countrymen. They were the ones denying grace. See, this type of behavior was one of the main problems that caused God to send the Jews to exile to begin with. This is a big problem here. But the main problem, it wasn't the pagan Persian empire charging taxes. That wasn't the main problem. The main problem wasn't the famine. The main problem, it was the selfish, merciless behavior of the wealthy Jews. That was the main problem. But just in case Nehemiah wasn't clear enough, Nehemiah continues his point, continuing in verse 9. Then I said, what you are doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies? Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please stop charging this interest. Return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and fresh oil that you have been assessing them. So the main problem was God's people mistreating others in the family of God. They were not reflecting God's character. See, God shows grace. God loves justice, and part of that justice is that those in positions of power or means have a duty to help those without. But Nehemiah, he's got a solution. Of course Nehemiah has a solution. He says, uh, Return their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with a percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and fresh oil that you have been assessing them. So the solution is simple. Return what you wrongfully took. Give it back to them. That's a simple solution. Now, Nehemiah only requires that they return what was taken. He could, he could have required them to go in above and beyond in helping their fellow citizens, but he only requires to return what was taken. Now, it's not said here in this chapter, but I think the reason that Nehemiah doesn't require more from these nobles and officials is that if they were going to give back more than what they, what they took, then they would be acting graciously. They, uh, they would be giving more than what they took, and they would be taking out of their own to give to others. They would be showing grace to their countrymen. So you might be sitting there saying, but Jason, you just said that the Jews should show grace to each other. Well, yes, they should. But if Nehemiah forced these nobles and officials to show grace, then it wouldn't be grace. That would be more like communism. See, grace is something that cannot be forced. It must be motivated by love and compassion. See, God is not forced to show grace to us. He does so because he is, he is motivated by his love and compassion for us. God shows us grace through Jesus. There are many, many ways, but the main way he shows us grace is through Jesus. See, we broke our relationship with God when we chose sin over righteousness. We broke our relationship with God when we chose sin over obedience. We broke our relationship with God when we chose to worship ourselves instead of worshiping him. And because of that, we don't deserve reconciliation with God. We don't deserve eternal life, and we don't deserve the next breath that we take, and we can't earn it back. But God, motivated by love and compassion, chose to give us grace. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he offers eternal life. He offers righteousness. He offers restoration. If you have not accepted God's grace, then you can't share that grace with others. If you have not accepted God's grace, let today be the day that you do. Then, because you know God's grace, you can be motivated by love and compassion. You have the right motivation to show grace to your neighbors. If you look in verse 10, Nehemiah chose to be gracious. He says, Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. 
But what about the nobles and the officials? Do they remember God's grace to them? Do they choose to be gracious? Well, we have to keep reading to find out. Picking up in verse 12, they responded, We will return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priests and made everyone take an oath to do this. I also shook the folds of my robe and said, May God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep his promise, doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. The whole assembly said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. Then the people did as they had promised. These people, the nobles and officials, they say, We will return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. It appears that they choose to return what was wrongfully taken. It does not appear that they chose to be gracious. Now, I don't know for sure, but um, it's, it looks more like these nobles and officials were sorry that they got caught doing what they were doing instead of actually being sorry for doing what was wrong. Uh, they're doing as little as possible to meet the requirements. Notice when Nehemiah says, give them back what you took, they said, okay, we'll give them back what we took. Nehemiah says, you should act gracious. Look at this example that I've set and, and acting graciously. They said, we'll return what we took. Right? See, in school, we all knew that kid who was willing to settle for a C or a D, even though they're capable of A's and B's. And that's what these Jews appear to be doing. They're doing just enough to get by. But when it comes to grace, praise God, God does not do just enough to get by. When it comes to grace, God is overflowing in abundance to us. When it comes to grace, God goes above and beyond. When it comes to grace, God gave his own life for us. Nehemiah recognizes that these people, they're not sorry for what they did. They're only sorry for what they get caught. Well, how do we know? Look at, uh, look at the oath that he requires. Nehemiah says, I shook the folds from my robe and said, May God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. See, in the ancient Near East, people would carry items in the folds of their garments. So these folds were basically pockets. Um, Nehemiah did what on social media you might hear called a pocket dump. He takes everything out of his pockets and he throws it on the floor, right? So he's saying, Nehemiah is saying, if you act this way again, I hope that God will take you out of his pockets and throw you away like these items here. If the people were truly sorry for what they had done, then this wouldn't be necessary. This oath is only necessary to prevent them from performing this same sin in the future. Nehemiah says, if you do this again, then God's going to kick you out of this promised land again like he did last time. That exile was bad last time, but if it happens again, there's no coming back from it. So Nehemiah is warning them. Again, this warning is only necessary because it seems like they're not actually sorry for what they did. They're only sorry that they got caught. So how do the nobles and officials take this oath? Well, the whole assembly said amen, and they praised the Lord. Then the people did as they had promised. So they agreed to it. But Nehemiah is not done yet. He goes on to explain how he leads by example. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time with the rest of these verses, because for the most part, it's pretty self-explanatory, and I'll just make a few remarks as we're reading. So verse 14. Furthermore, from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until his 32nd year, 12 years, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. So as the governor, Nehemiah was entitled to compensation derived from the taxes that the Persians would take from the Jews. But Nehemiah didn't take that pay. Verse 15. Uh, the governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people. 
But because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. Instead, I devoted myself to the construction of this wall, and all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. So those governors who came before Nehemiah, they took more than what was given to them through their taxes. They had their pay, they took their pay, but then they took more than that. But Nehemiah, instead of taking more from the people, he gets down and he works right alongside them. Verse 17. There were 150 Jews and officials, as well as guests from the surrounding nations, at my table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some, uh, some fowl were prepared for me. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every ten days. But I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor, because the burden on the people was so heavy. Remember me favorably, my God, for all that I have done for this people. Now, this sounds pretty exorbitant. It sounds like a lot. But this is showing that Nehemiah, even even though he refused his pay and even though he didn't take excess from the people, he was still able to provide for his those in his house and for his guests. Now remember, Nehemiah is governor of the region, so he's going to have officials working under him, and he's going to have official government guests. But he's able to provide for them despite foregoing his official government allowance. Now, uh, I, I know that we went through that last bit quickly. And I'm not trying to say that it's unimportant, because it really is. It's extremely important. But it's basically a contrast to everything that we read before that in this chapter. Instead of using his position to squeeze more money from his people, he doesn't even take his paycheck. Instead of sitting back and watching his fellow Jews suffer, he steps out and works alongside them. Instead of selfishly keeping everything for himself, he's providing for those under his care. See, Nehemiah shows us what a real leader is. He shows us the character of God. If you are in a position of leadership, then Nehemiah provides a good model for you. But even if you're not in a position of leadership, Nehemiah shows us how to act as God's people, reflecting God's glory to those around us. So let's get into our application. Our application is always broken down into three points, knowing, being, and doing, because that comes from our definition of a disciple. Now, me, as, as the pastor, I'm preaching to disciples or people who I'm hoping will become disciples, so that application always ties back to our definition of a disciple. We get that definition from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. So the knowing here, the know is to know God's grace. See, grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. There is common grace, right? These are the, the blessings that God gives to all people. Sunshine on a beautiful day or rain to help grow the, clo- the, clops, the, the crops. Delicious food, right? These are common grace. These are things that everybody that God has provided for everybody. Friends and family who care for us, that's common grace. But then there is special grace. This is the grace that is given to those who accept Jesus as their Savior. With this grace comes reconciliation with our Creator so that we can be in relationship with Him like we were created to be. This grace comes with adoption into the family of God and the blessings that come with being a child of God. And finally, this grace includes eternal life with God and all other believers instead of the eternal punishment that we deserve. So know God's grace by accepting Jesus as your Savior. But the knowledge of God's grace should lead to gracious living. And that takes us to our second application point. That's to be gracious. See, grace, this is where you're sacrificially giving up what rightfully belongs to us so that we can give it to others in need. That is motivated by love and compassion. Again, that's not motivated by some force outside of that. That's not motivated by the government. This is motivated by love and compassion. That's grace. When God shows us grace because of his love and compassion for us, then we can begin to feel God's love and compassion for others. 
that will motivate us to be gracious. Now, I'm not just talking about individuals. I mean, yes, I am talking about you as a disciple of Jesus have a responsibility to show grace. But together, as a church, we have a responsibility to show grace as well. When we come together as a body of believers, we are to act as the body of Christ. Now, there is a Casting Crown song. I know I just used Casting Crowns a couple weeks ago, but they've got so many great songs. They had another one called If We Are the Body, right? And it says, if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them that there is a way? So the B is to be gracious. And the, the last application point, the do, is to follow Nehemiah's lead. Right? Nehemiah shows us what an exemplary leader is. That person who's following after God's will and treating others the way that God has treated them. So if you are in a position of, of leadership, Nehemiah provides a good model for you. But even if you're not in a position of leadership, Nehemiah shows us how to act in the character of God and reflect God's character to those around us. So follow Nehemiah's lead. So we've come to our application point, our application time, no, our response time. And you can respond right where you're seated, or you can come to the front and pray at the cross, or you can come and pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.